We are in the book of Acts, continuing on. We're in Acts chapter 20 is where we're going to be this morning. All right, this is, this is where we are. So a couple weeks ago, we returned back to Acts, picking up the story of Paul as, he, as he's in Ephesus. We spent a whole bunch of time in, in other letters to this same community. So the letter to the Ephesians, uh, John's uh, letters to that same area, the book of Revelation we covered, Colossians, Philemon, all dealing with this community of believers in the same area of the world is where we've been for over a year. Now that we're turning our attention back to Luke's narrative in Acts, last time that I taught a couple of weeks ago, is Paul is back on the road again. But these chapters in Acts chapter 19 and chapter 20, this is four years of Paul's life. He spent roughly three years with the Ephesians, and after he left Ephesus, he traveled through Macedonia, down into Greece, he wintered in Corinth, and now he's come back along that way. So this, this, uh, the section that we covered last week, or a couple weeks ago, was roughly a year of his life, and we're told that as he is coming down the coast of modern-day Turkey, that he goes beyond the port of Ephesus to the next port is Miletus because he has this goal in his mind, in his heart, in his relationship with the Lord to be in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. This is his goal. And the thought is, is that if he ported at Ephesus and he goes into the Ephesian community, not only is he going to be interacting with the church leadership, but he's going to be interacting with human beings who he's just spent really the last three years of his life with. He's been gone for roughly a year, and how long would he get held up in this community in those different conversations and relationships? So the idea is Paul wants to bypass that holdup so that he can be in Jerusalem. So as he's past the port of Ephesus and he went to the next port to the south, this is Miletus, and it's roughly a 30-mile walk. So as he's ported in Miletus, he has sent a delegation to go and gather the Ephesian elders to come back to him in Miletus. So somebody traveled a day and a half to the north to get him. Everybody's got to get gathered together. That's probably another day. Now they're all traveling together again, another day and a half to get down to where Paul is. And now Paul's spending some time with these Ephesian elders. And here's his words. I titled this message just last words. These are not the last words of Paul's life. But these are, from Paul's perspective, this is the last time that God is going to give us the opportunity opportunity to be face-to-face -face with one another. Paul later on writes the letter to the Ephesians after this point, so it's not his last interaction with them, but it's the last physical interaction, and he knows it. But in Paul's relationship with God, he knows that there is trials, tribulations, chains, and arrest, and potentially his death in Jerusalem. Paul knows these things as he is communicating these words to these men. So let's pick up in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, and we'll read through all of this before we back up and give context. So from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, 
but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry that I receive, which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn every one of you day and night with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must also support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We had said these things. He knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely, greatly, and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. So sit in this. We just, we just read through this. You read these words with your own eyeballs as you followed along. You heard them in your mind and your heart. What are, what are the biggest words to you? I, my, my biggest words are, they're not that, uh, that the Ephesian elders are not going to see Paul's face anymore. But think about for them. So out of all that Paul just communicated, he's given testimony to his life in their midst, everything that he has taught, proclaimed, and announced to them for over three years. He is telling them and encouraging them to fulfill the ministry that Jesus Christ has called them to. He has warned them about the wolves that are going to come in. He's warned them that even within their own ranks that people are going to stand up and draw individuals after themselves, away from Jesus and to themselves. Are those, are those pretty heavy and weighty words? For these men, as they're having this conversation with Paul, what are the biggest words? What's, what's the thing that stands out to them? I'm not, I'm not going to see this guy anymore. 
they know in their community, you know, through the Holy Spirit, through prophets, through Paul's own testimony, that he is going to Jerusalem and that what awaits for him in Jerusalem is potentially his death. Paul's going to, as, as Luke gives us the testimony that we'll sit in next week, that Paul is, he doesn't, um, even if he dies, he's prepared to die for Jesus. So this is, the, this is the words that are standing out to the Ephesian elders as they're listening to Paul to communicate this. So as they kneel down and they pray together and they're giving their goodbyes and they're hugging and they're kissing, the thing that stands out is that relationship, that face-to-face -face relationship with Paul. They understand who Paul has been to them as a friend, as a pastor, as a leader, as the individual who has shared to them their very life. He is the one who God used to come into their community and proclaim freedom from whatever they needed freedom from, whether it was religion, whether it was sin, whether it was idolatry, every, all the different ways and all the different things that Jesus has saved us from as a group. This, these individuals he's communicated to, this, like this is the guy that shared Jesus with me. And never again am I going to see him face to face. And they anticipate, never again am I going to hear his words. This is a sorrowful separation. There is this unknown element in Paul's future. But Paul uses this, this comment, this idea, and we'll, we'll press into a lot of this in a minute, is that for Paul to fulfill whatever it is that Jesus has called him to, that's joy. It's not the relationships that he has with these human beings. Yes, I guarantee that there was a lot of joy in those relationships. It wasn't being preserved from danger. However, there's a lot of joy in having, you know, comfort and security in life. Paul's communicating to these individuals and he's communicating to us. And this is the main thing that we need to walk out of here this morning with. Whatever it is that your creator and that your savior has created you for, whatever his plans and purposes are, whether you know what the future of those things are or you're just walking with him right now, whatever it is that he has called you to, whatever it is that he is directing you to serve him in in humility, that is the one and only place that you're going to find joy in this life. It is all wrapped up in Jesus. It's not in your marriage, it's not in your parenting, it's not in your friendships, it's not in your education, it's not your money, it's not your house, it's not your car, it's not where you live. It is the name of Jesus alone is where joy, peace, happiness, just the wonder of life comes from knowing him. And this is what we're praying this morning. We prayed this earlier today. May he take the lid off of his glory this morning. May he take the lid off of his holiness, off of his love, off of his plans and purposes for your life. May he take the lid off the activities of what this culture is lying to you every single day. May he take the lid off of what the schemes of the devil are in, in your life. May he reveal and manifest himself, his name, his truth in this place this morning. Amen.
And he does that through a variety of ways. He'll do that through the lyrics that we just sang. He'll do that through his word this morning. He'll do that for, through a conversation that you're going to have with another brother and sister after the service this morning. And he's going to do it through the life of Paul. Like, so sit, sit with Paul's testimony. These are his last words to his friends. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, you know my character. You know who I am. You know that as when I stepped into this community, you know that as I lived in this community, you know that as I was in the public sphere, you know that as I was in your home in the, in the private sphere, you know that as I was in the workplace, what was I doing? I was serving Jesus in humility. And this is, uh, humility is awesome. It's, it's being low-minded. And this isn't uh, to, um, you know, that, the whole idea of, you know, depreciating yourself, making yourself low and little and woe is me and those kinds of things. Like you need to have the right vision and understanding and identity of who you are in Jesus Christ. But this idea of being low-minded is it's, it's all about Jesus. It's all about his name who he is, what he's done, as I serve you. And again, this is, this is Paul's life as he entered to this community, as he lived there, as he taught there, as he went from house to house, as he's working a job to provide for his own needs, his laser focus and everything that he did, it is all about Jesus. As I, as I labor, as I toil, as I teach, as I communicate, as I live, I mean, think of, the, think of this testimony of Paul. Everything that I'm doing is for the name of Jesus. Was Paul always that way? There was a time in Paul's life where he hated the name of Jesus, where he says that he forced other human beings to blaspheme the name of Jesus. As a Jew, he was entering into other Jewish communities and where there were Jews who were looking to Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior, as deliverer from sin, as the source of all life. He entered into those communities with authority, arrested and forced individuals to bend the knee to his will and blaspheme the name of Jesus. We're going to sit with Paul again throughout the rest of the book of Acts, and he's going to repeat his testimony a couple of more times. But in Acts chapter 9, we have this interaction, this, this, this initial... Um, and this is where the prayers that Jesus would make himself real and make himself manifest to you. Paul had clearly had... And understanding he had heard the gospel, he was rejecting the gospel, he's rejecting who Jesus is. And as he is going to Damascus to cause people to recant their faith in Jesus Christ, there is this light where Jesus reveals his glory, blinds Paul because of the glory of that light, drives Paul to the ground, and Paul is hearing the voice of his creator to him, Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? And again, these are, these, are, these are, Paul's testimony is awesome. And we can sit in these words of Blake, you know, the, repeating my name, getting my attention. Blake, Blake, 
Why are you doing this? Why are you thinking this? Why are you saying this? You know who I am. Are you feeling it difficult to kick against the goads in your life? And this is, this is, um, this is a contrast between not being a believer in Jesus Christ and being a believer. Not being a believer where Paul was in this context. A, a goad is a, it's a sharp stick that you're going to use to cause a cow, an ox, a stubborn animal, animal to go in the direction that you want it to go in. It has, it's long, so you, can, you know, you got, some, you got some leverage as you, you know, smack an animal on its hind end to get it to go in the direction that you want it to go. If that animal is being extra stubborn, it has a sharp end to that stick where you can jab it into the rear end of that animal to get it moving in the direction that you want it to get going. Has anybody felt like an ox before in your relationship with God? Here's the thing, that ought to be only the heart and the position of an unbeliever. Because when you bend the knee to Jesus as Savior, how does that transition? You're no longer being chased and driven by Jesus. You're now doing what in your relationship with Jesus? You're following him. We're told that he has taken up residence within us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we have the Almighty God, Creator, dwelling within us, speaking to us, changing our minds, changing our hearts, changing our lives, transforming us. That as we are engaged in a daily relationship with Him, He ought not to need a stick in my back to drive me in the direction that He wants me to go in. He now has a conversational relationship with me. Hey, Son, follow me. This is where we're going today. This is what we're doing today. And I've had those moments in my relationship with Jesus as, as a saved individual where I have felt like he's had to put a stick in my back. And I've had to go back to him and confess that. Lord, my attitude's wrong. I submit to you. The reason why I'm kicking against these goads, Lord, is because I'm afraid of what you're telling me to do. Do you think Paul, in this circumstance, you know, fast forwarding back into Acts 20, when he is sitting in his relationship with the Lord, as he is following Jesus, he is saying he is bound, he is being compelled to go to Jerusalem by the Holy Spirit alone. What is everybody else that he has a relationship with doing to Paul? The Holy Spirit speaking to them too to tell Paul, Paul, do you know what's coming your way if you go to Jerusalem? The Jews are going to arrest you. They're going to put you in chains. You're going to be squeezed. You're going to be in tribulation. As we get into the chapter next week, it's, it's this every city that he goes to, the Holy Spirit is speaking to his brothers and sisters, confirming in his own relationship what is awaiting him in his future. Paul, don't go. I don't want you to get arrested. I don't want you to be hurt. I don't want trials and tribulations in your, in your life, Paul. Paul, as, as, as your brother, I want to save you from these things. The Holy Spirit is telling us things, these things to keep you from doing that. And what is Paul saying? No. God is telling me to go 
He is confirming through you what he has already communicated to me, what is coming in my future, and what does Paul communicate to them? He says, none of these things are moving me. And this is, this is an idiom. It means to make to reason. And here's the idea. Do you have circumstances or voices that come from people who love you, they know you, they care about you, they know the circumstances of your life, where they're communicating to you, if you keep going down this road, here's what's going to occur in your life. They're using logic, they're using persuasive words, they may even be, hey, this is what God has spoken to me about your circumstance. Do those things make you reason? Do they make you think? That's, that's what this idiom thinks. Paul's saying, everything that you're communicating to me, everything that the Holy Spirit is communicating to me about what is awaiting for me in my future, which is hardship, none of this stuff is causing me to reason, making me reason, making me think, making me work, it, uh, work out a way to turn out of this direction. Does that make sense? That's what this idiom is. None of these things move me. Do you have... How about this? <laughs> well, I'm not, this is, I don't want to get overly like political or uh, cultural in this one, but just when it comes to COVID... As we sit in a culture and listen to what's being communicated to us about this disease and how it's impacting people, people are passing away from this, uh, governments are putting in all different kinds of restrictions throughout the world, this, this disease has impacted our lives in a variety of different ways, yes? So as we have processed through this circumstance in our culture, um, there's, there's a lots of communities where churches are not meeting. And again, we locked down just as the rest of the culture did for that first month. And, you know, we had the freedom from our government to open up our doors in a way here in Georgia that those in California didn't. So every culture's had to process through this idea in different ways. But here's something that the world does not understand about the church. Even if I die as a consequence of meeting with my brothers and sisters, that's not going to change my mind about meeting. Have you been interacting in the news at all in regards to believers in Afghanistan? You know, as, as a believer in Afghanistan, a believer in China, a believer in North Korea, I mean, you, put, you step in as a believer in Jesus Christ in a culture that will execute you because of your faith and your behavior. Do those things keep people from meeting in the name of Jesus Christ? No. So, again, with wisdom, as we meet in our culture with this disease, like, I'm not standing at the front door asking every single one of you to sneeze in my face as we come in the door, right? We need to have wisdom in these things. I've always washed my hands. If I need to wear a mask, I'll wear a mask. You know, whatever those mitigating factors are in our life, like, I'm going to process through that. But just because another human being 
may die from this disease and another human being on the other side of the spectrum, almost nothing happens to him, that's not going to keep me from worshiping my God. That's not going to keep me from fellowshipping with you as brothers and sisters. Now, like I said, I don't want to be overly political or offensive or any of that kind of stuff. You understand the language that this is what Paul is communicating, that as I am following Jesus, nothing is going to keep me from doing what Jesus has called me to do. And when you sit in Paul's context, as he's bearing the, the as he's communicating to them, he says, you know, my, you know my name, Paul, you know my character, you know my life story, and you know what it is that Jesus has called me to. So as I came into your community, what, he's, what does he say that he did? He proclaimed this, the proclamation of the gospel is to bring in that information that has already been communicated to you. The idea of, of preaching or announcing is this idea of being a herald. You come into the community, like for Paul as an apostle, he, is, he has been sent by Jesus to perform very specific ministries, services in the name of Jesus that Jesus said that this is what he was appointed to do. So as he gives his testimony in Acts 9 and a couple more times, he's going to give further definition to what he heard from Jesus in regards to what he was supposed to do and what was going to await him as he shared the gospel in all these different communities. It says that he taught. Teaching is very different than proclaiming and different than announcing the message of the gospel. We sit down and Paul's saying publicly, I was doing these things, these things and from house to house. So again, we brought up in this culture in, in Ephesus, they're not going to have a big building like this where the church is all gathering together as one. It's multiple house churches. And in every single one of those house churches, Paul has, in relationship, elders have been appointed to those homes and to those who are gathering in those homes. So as we as he communicates here that he sent for the elders from Ephesus to come down to Miletus, how many guys are there? Are there five house churches in Ephesus and five elders? Are there 50? You know, what does this contingent of, of leaders in this community look like? And Paul, again, he's given this testimony. As I was with you, what did I do? I taught you. I proclaimed to you. I announced to you everything about Jesus. He says that I didn't shrink back. The Jews put me in tears in regards to their rejection. So in Acts chapter 19, when Paul first comes to Ephesus, he's going to the synagogue. There are Jews that are responding to the gospel. There's Gentiles that are responding to the gospel. But as a, as a majority, the Jews were rejecting the gospel and persecuting Paul in a variety of different ways. The Holy Spirit's doing these incredible miracles there in Ephesus. But Paul's saying, the, how the Jews were treating me, it brought me to tears. Because I want nothing more than them to know who the Messiah is. But I taught you this message 
that I heard from Jesus is what I've communicated to you for the last three years, whether it was publicly or it was from house to house, as the elders have been trained, as, as there's mature individuals in this community and there's, as there's babies. And again, you sit in the, the reality, some were being saved out of Jewish religion, some were being saved out of pagan religion, some were being saved out of the pit of hell in regards to the darkness that they were living every single day. Others were just... I had no idea that there was one God. And again, we have all these different ways that um, where we were in our lives that differ from one another. And it's going to be the same thing in this community. But what was the same message that every single one of them heard? Repent. What was the first message out of Jesus' mouth to the Jews as he begins his public ministry in Israel? Repent. What does repentance mean? It's, it's, it's that turn. It's that 180 degree turn. There's a physical idea to it, but it really revolves around the thoughts that we think in our heart. Here's how I was, here's how I was raised. Here, here's how I was brought up. Here's how I was trained. Here's what the culture has taught me. Here's what I've learned from religion and all those kinds of things. And there's this, Jesus is coming to the Jews, the Jews who are waiting for a Messiah, who are waiting to be delivered from Rome. And what's the words that come out of Jesus' mouth? Repent. You need to turn away from everything that is not God and have this transformation and turn to who God is. Not as defined by your religious leaders, but as God defines himself, as he manifests himself and reveals himself in truth. So much of Jesus' teaching was correction, was unveiling. You've heard it said in the Old Testament, this is what the Old Testament says. Here's the heart of my father. Here's the truth. We all have, again, this is, a, this is that life story of having a stick in your back or being hunted by Jesus, knowing that you're living wrong, knowing that you're thinking wrong, not being satisfied with the way that you're living. This isn't giving me happiness. This isn't giving me joy. This isn't right. This, this doesn't add up. Just all those different emotions, they lead us to... Um, that position of willingly bending the knee and bending the head down to the ground and recognizing that, Jesus, you are my creator. You are my only source of freedom. And I'm, I'm submitting this, all that I am, mind, body, and spirit, Lord, give me what I need to, to love you with all that I am. Give me all that I need, Lord, to be transformed into your image day in and day out. As I've been following Jesus for the last 22 years, I am not the man that I want to be. I was talking earlier with, with, with Tony and with um, just this... Uh, Just because I'm not who I want to be doesn't mean I sit here and live in this life of woe is me and look how bad I am and I'm not living up to these idea, these my own ideas of perfection and what my eye, uh, you know, mind, heart, mouth, life ought to look like. It's there's there's this the the peace, the joy, the satisfaction, the contentment that I have in this life just 
following Jesus every day is astounding. I communicated earlier, like, it's, it's been a really busy past couple of weeks. But those, those busy past, it's been a busy life. But just the past couple of weeks, I, I sit in the, all the activity, the physical exhaustion. There's this underlining tranquility. There's this underlining peace. There's this underlining trust that what Jesus is leading us to do as a household, Lord, I could be, I could be freaked out by different circumstances. Like, I'm, I'm the money guy. I'm the, I'm the accountant. So I'm sitting in, three kids are going to be in college next year. Who wants to write that check for me? My daughter's going to get married next December. Who wants to write that check for me? So I'm thinking about dollar signs, and those are my own issues. But the peace that sits there is the Lord is going to provide for all of these things. Not just for me, because he loves me, but he loves my kids. He's going to provide for Eli exactly what Eli needs. He's going to provide for Asher exactly what Asher needs. He's going to provide for Trinity exactly what Trinity needs. And this is this idea of repentance towards God and faith towards Jesus Christ. I have turned from my sins. I believe that there is one God. I've been exposed to this, and I have the testimony of the last 22 years of life, and then I can look back on my 23 years of not knowing Jesus and can sit in the testimony of all the different ways that he was moving in my life before that. Like, I have all this testimony of confident assurance that God is and that he attends to me, and that he seeks me, and that he saved me, and that he's transformed me, that he is keeping me in a constant state of repentance, and he keeps me in this constant, constant state of I trust Jesus. Bob called me yesterday telling me about Mayfield, Kentucky, and I'm like, why do I need to know anything about Mayfield, Kentucky? Because that's why that's where Mar Marvina's from. Okay, well, what's going on? Are you, are you reading the news? No, I'm busy doing this. Others, what happened? No, I mean, over a hundred people die in Marvina's hometown, where her mom is, where her family is. Marvina, do you trust Jesus? You're not there with your mom right there, but Jesus is there with your mom right now. I rely upon you. You're good. Even though this stinks, people's homes destroyed, businesses destroyed, lives, in our opinions, cut short, tragic. They're crying because they're just not going to see Paul's face anymore in the flesh, but Paul's going to keep going on. How many people are weeping this morning at the loss of life? Where was Jesus when the tornado tore through these communities? Right there. How do we know that? Because he tells us. Where is Jesus when you get the bad news? Cam, you just sat six weeks away from your husband to go minister to your family. Now you're back home. That's hard to do. Any of you want to be separated six weeks from your spouse? I don't want to be. Where was Jesus in the midst of that physical separation? Right with Cam? 
with her mom, with her dad, with Lincoln here, with little Nugget. She's being a single mom away from, away from Lincoln. Where was Jesus in all of that? Is this your perfect will for our lives? None of these things move me. And I'm not going to let any of these things move me because I want to finish my call, my race, my life with joy. And the only reason I have joy in this life, well, and again, there's, there's all kinds of circumstances that make us happy. But we know and we understand as believers where the source of our life comes from, where the source of our circumstances come from, who our provider is, that there, there is, I know in my future that the only place joy is going to be is as I follow and submit to Jesus and Jesus alone. Because if I want to do it my way and I demand my own way, if I, if I tell my kids, this is where you're going to go to school, this is the degree you're going to get, I know everything about your life and the Holy Spirit is telling them something different from me, my, my wisdom as dad is going to lead them away from joy if they listen to me rather than listening to what they know the Holy Spirit is telling them to do. None of these things move me, even though they know that I love them, even though they know that I have wisdom just in living life and that kind of stuff. If I ask her, as, as we're weighing these two schools and these are your best options, here's where I think you should go, and he thinks the Holy Spirit is telling him otherwise, and he has evidence for that, Joy for him is continuing to follow Jesus. Now, what happens when you make a mistake? What happens when you turn off the path and you find yourself in the weeds? Is that it? Is that the end of joy in your life? Nope. You repent. You have that conversation. You get back to that, Jesus, I trust you. I know that I should have listened to you. You're right. Change this rebellious heart that is within me. Change the way I think. Change the way that I want to act. I only want you and to move forward with joy that only comes from your calling in my life. There is so much, again, um, we, we could spend a few weeks just in Paul's Paul's testimony, his conversion, how he's lived his life, the message that's been conveyed, you know, the, the overarching message is repentance towards God and, and faith towards Jesus Christ, right? He has been commissioned and appointed to testify to the gospel of grace there in verse 24. He calls it, in verse 25, the kingdom of God. Verse 32, as he's, as he's commending these individuals and trusting these individuals to God, not to a denomination, not to himself. He is, he is entrusting them to, to follow Jesus and Jesus alone. It's, it's the word of his grace that is going to build you up. This is why we teach verse by verse. I, don't, I do not know why, and again, I don't have any stones to throw at anybody else um, because that's, that's not the heart of God and that's not my heart either. But I have no idea why congregations gather together and do anything else other than teach through this in some systematic fashion. My words are... 100% irrelevant unless I'm communicating to you what the Word of God says. 
my name means nothing, Calvary Chapel means nothing, the denomination means nothing, our, our works and our services, whatever they may look like, if, if it's not based upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and his word, what are we told? That my words build you up? Maybe for a moment I can be really encouraging and loving and, and direct you in a certain direction. But what does Paul say? I am entrusting each one of you to God and to God alone because only Jesus knows you. Only he has created you. Only he dwells within you. Only he knows your past, present, and future. And he has a plan for your life. Paul says, I didn't shrink back. I didn't hide from communicating the counsel of God, the plans of God, the purposes of God. Now, those are going to be big in general. But again, he's got individual relationships with, with people. And he's, he's saying that, you know, God used him to appoint elders in this community and as these elders have been appointed, as they've responded to the Holy Spirit of God, what is Paul telling them? God is the one who made you an elder. He is the one that made you an overseer, a watchman. Pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to yourself in Jesus. Pay attention to the gospel that has been communicated to you, the gospel of grace the gospel of repentance from sins, the gospel of faith in Jesus Christ. As he's communicating these things, as he communicates the gospel, and then, um, you know, he's teaching from house to house. Is he teaching about marriage relationships? Is he teaching about husband and wife relationships? Just all you have to do is read the letter to the Ephesians, right? He goes through all this doctrine. As he's writing the letter to these people that were crying to him, he avoids all the personal conversation when he writes the letter later on to Ephesians from a prison cell. What does he communicate to him? He communicates the truth and the majesty and the wonder of who Jesus Christ is. And the last half of the letter, you go, all right, now what do you do with it? Now how do you live it out? So to the elders, it's pay attention to yourself to make sure that you keep living it out. I am not, uh, not going to be here face-to-face -face with you any longer. The Lord is sending me on. You have always been the Lord's. I am commending you to him. And what do you need to sit in elders? What do you need to teach to your congregation? Sit in the word of God. Because the word of God and God alone he is the only thing that is going to build you, to make you, to lead you down the path of life. But I've got this warning for you. From the outside, and he uses this metaphor for a shepherd. He's calling, he's calling that, you know, Jesus is the chief shepherd, shepherd as an overseer, uh, this whole idea of being an under-shepherd, the, the imagery that we have of, of a shepherd's role to a flock of sheep, the care, the protection, the leading, the guidance, all, the, all of that imagery that is there. But in this imagery, what attacks wool or what attacks sheep? Savage wolves. There's these predators out there. A sheep is completely and totally defenseless to any of its natural predators. It there is a requirement for a shepherd to stand in the gap to protect. And he is warning these elders in this imagery of shepherd, you have a responsibility 
as you lead these flocks, as you care for these people, as you guide them, that there are predators on the outside that are seeking to come in and pick off the sheep one by one and devour them. And that same imagery, Paul gives this warning. And this, this, is, um, this is really sad. And it's, it's a sad commentary in, in any congregation and any, anybody who has raised the hand and say, I believe in Jesus Christ. He is my Savior. He is my King. He's my God. He's my priest. And in that relationship, what wells up within is pride. And you start going to individuals and pulling those individuals away from Jesus and pulling them to yourself because you want to have a name for yourself. And we see this over and over and over again in small churches, in big churches, every culture, all throughout time. And here's Paul's warning. When I leave here, when I get on that boat and I start sailing for Jerusalem... From among you, from among those who are meeting in your home, there's going to, individuals are going to rise up in rebellion against you, in rebellion against the word of God that you're teaching, in rebellion against Jesus who you're proclaiming, and they're going to pull followers after themselves. Don't follow anybody other than your creator ever we're in relationship with each other as brothers and sisters my role and responsibility to communicate the word of god to teach it to preach it to proclaim it because this is what the holy spirit is going to use to build you up you are not following me you're not following a again a denomination a congregation you may listen to i hope you listen to other teachers you're not following those those communicators you're not following those authors you're not following that individual on facebook or on tv or on the radio you follow Jesus. He has created you. He defines you. He protects you. He walks with you. He reveals his grace to you, his love for you, his kindness, his compassion. When you're in that moment of misery and you're by yourself and you messed up again, you're sitting in darkness, you're afraid of the future, who's there with you? I'm not. Your spouse isn't, your kids aren't, your God is. And he constantly says to you, I love you. Listen to me. Stop doing that. Give that to me. Here's what I'm giving you because this is what you need. Follow me. Come spend some private time with me. Go with that group and go worship. Go over here and serve, not them. Serve me for my namesake. Look out. Listen to what I'm telling you, God says. And this is, this is, this is, um, it's really easy to contrast uh, the lies of the devil, the lies that this world communicates with what 
the revealed truth of God's word is. Like, those are really easy to define. What's harder to find and where it gets muddy and kind of blurry is what Paul is communicating, where he's gone from community to community, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to brothers and sisters about the dangers that are in the future of Paul's life. And they're interpreting the Holy Spirit speaking to them those things about Paul's life that they need to warn Paul so that Paul stops. Does that make sense? But Paul knows in his relationship with God that the warnings that he is hearing from the Lord personally and the confirmation that he is getting from other brothers and sisters isn't to stop, is that Jesus is going to be with me as I continue to follow him down this road. So remember, when Paul is arrested, whose prisoner is he? Not of the Jews, not of Rome. He repeatedly calls himself, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He doesn't seek to be freed from his fears, freed from his tears, freed from the trials and stresses of life. The thing that Paul seeks to be freed from constantly is the old man. He used to hate Jesus. He used to want and force others to hate Jesus. And he went through this radical repentance that only came from the revelation of who Jesus Christ is to where now everything about him was Jesus and Jesus alone. And I'm going to say that until Jesus comes back. Every single week we gather together, we say the same thing. Turn from your darkness. Turn from your sins. Turn from your rebellion. Turn from your opinions. Turn from the news. Turn from your politics. Turn from the culture. Turn from whatever it is that is standing in opposition to what God is communicating in your life. And how do you hear the voice of God? Through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, through the revealed word of God that has been preserved and kept for us, through brothers and sisters, through the circumstances of life. He speaks volumes every day. And each one of us has the choice of whether we're going to turn in and listen to his voice and trust that he's going to be with us every step of the way and fulfill all of his promises and give us the inheritance, right, that has been promised to those who are sanctified, those who have been set apart to him for all eternity, or are you going to listen to your own thoughts? Is somebody else going to make you reason? Is somebody going to make you move? Are you going to give yourself a long rope on your anchor to Jesus and let yourself drift because it's more comfortable over here than it is walking with Jesus? Because walking with Jesus, joy and discomfort at the same time. Can everybody say amen? Having my flesh die hurts. Saying no to myself 
hurts. Saying yes to Jesus and how it impacts the relationships that we have in this life, it can be extremely isolating. You can be cut off from family members. You can be cut off from friends. You can get cut off from a job. You can get cut off from your community because you say yes to Jesus and no to another human being. That hurts. Yet, all the pain goes away when I know that I am in him and he is in me and nothing can separate me from that love as I serve him, as I attend to him, as I listen to him. Amen? All right, so we're going to worship. So worship team, come on up. Lincoln filled every single one of these cups to the brim. So as you come up and take communion and remember his sacrifice, the pouring out of his blood for your sins, the cups are full with his blood this morning. So don't drip it on your clothes or the carpet. <laughs> He's back there shaking his head because he knew I was going to say something. Remember his body that was given for you. Remember that you were created. Remember that death is not your end. It is the moment that you are going to be recreated in the image of him and him alone. And how, how marvelous that's going to be. So, Father, and I'm praying right now, Lord, that just through your word this morning, through Paul's testimony, through his words, as he's encouraging these men... 2,000 years ago. Lord, that each one of us, that we'd hear your voice. That that's, um, that that veil that sometimes we feel that you're, you're hiding behind, where we can't quite hear, we can't quite see, that that would be pulled aside, so to say, Lord. We want to see your glory. We want to see your holiness. We want to see your goodness. We want to see your truth. We want to see us, in, in, again, Lord, in truth. I want to see who I am in you. I want that constant warning, Lord, of, of who I was apart from you because I never want to return to that old man. But Lord, I want to I wanna follow you because Lord, I know the end of this road, there's the fulfillment of all the promises that you've given. There, there's coming a day when I'm going to be free from this body of death. This, this war and this conflict within, this war and this conflict on the, on the outside, Lord, the spiritual warfares, we wrestle against princes and principalities. There's coming a day when we shall be free from all of that and recre recreated in your image. So each one of us, Lord, in our relationship, we once again today, we turn. We turn away from ourselves. We turn away from our opinions. We turn away from this world. And Lord, we're asking that you would speak to us what is true. Here's our mind. Here's our heart. Here's our lives. Speak to us what's true. Lead us, Lord. Give us the faith that we lack. Give us all that we lack. We look to you and trust that you will provide in the moment that's necessary. Thank you for the peace that you bring into our lives. You are our Prince of Peace. Thank you for that, that joy, Lord, that just, that just girds us. 
Thank you for your promise, Lord, that you are a great shepherd, that you stand within and without, and you protect and you lead and you provide and you care. Whatever's needed, Lord, let us hear your voice as we worship you and you alone. It's in the perfect name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.